0: Please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Before the episode, let me tell you about an amazing online boutique that I just know you're going to love. SAVE Boutique is a great place for clothes, accessories, and shoes. One of the great things about SAVE is that it's size-inclusive. Most items SAVE offers are available in sizes from small to 3x, and they're looking into ways to offer even more sizing options. They also drop new items every week, so there's always new things to choose from. They even offer three buy now, pay later options, ShopPay, Klarna, and Afterpay. One last thing, they're offering a discount to DoorKey listeners. Just enter the code DOORKey, that's D-O-O-R-K-E-Y, all caps, no spaces, for a 10% discount. I even put a link to Safe Boutique in the description notes of this episode that will take you directly there and automatically apply the discount. So check out the amazing clothes, accessories, and shoes Safe Boutique has to offer. You'll be so glad you did. Hello, this is Dorkey. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history, and I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past and i'd like to share what i've learned and i hope you enjoy it hello everyone before i start the episode i have just a tiny bit of housekeeping to go over it's getting to be that time of the year again and so i'm really excited to officially announce Door Keys' second annual spooktacular coming in october I've had almost a year to come up with a better name, and I couldn't. So, spooktacular it is. Not only will all of October be dedicated to spooky historical topics in honor of Halloween, but I'm going to be releasing a new episode each week that month. So, if you're not already subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen, be sure to get on that so you don't miss any of the wonderful spookiness I have planned. That's it for the housekeeping. On to the episode. There's a saying that goes, well-behaved women seldom make history. From what I can tell, this was first said by the historian Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, who specialized in early America and the history of women. I think that once this episode is done, you'll see why I think this saying applies so well to Alice Roosevelt. Alice Lee Roosevelt Longworth was an American writer and socialite. She was the eldest child of U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt and his only child with his first wife, Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt. Alice led an unconventional and controversial life. But before discussing Alice, I need to talk about her father, Theodore Roosevelt, for a moment. Theodore Roosevelt was the 26th president of the U.S. and was, to put it mildly, a force of nature. He was famous for his exuberant personality and his vast range of interests, especially hunting. Here's just one example of how unstoppable this man was. He was giving a speech on October 14, 1912, when he was shot in the chest by a would-be assassin. The bullet lodged in his chest, but had gone through his steel eyeglass case and also passed through a pamphlet in his pocket, so the bullet had been slowed way down. Realizing that he was wounded, but not mortally, Theodore declined suggestions that he go to the hospital immediately. Instead. He gave his entire speech first, starting it by saying, quote, "Friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bullmus." And that's about all I'm going to say about Theodore Roosevelt. I just thought that hearing a little about her father would make Alice make more sense. I don't think the apple fell far from the redwood tree that was Theodore Roosevelt. Alice was born in the Roosevelt family home in Manhattan, New York, on February 12, 1884. Her mother, Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, was a Boston banking heiress. Her father, Theodore, was at that time a New York State Assemblyman. Alice was a descendant of the Schuyler family. Yes, that Schuyler family the one from Hamilton. Two days after her birth, Alice's mother died. Theodore's mother also died that day. I can't even imagine losing your mother and your wife in the same day. In his diary that day, Theodore wrote a large X on that page, and then the words, the light has gone out of my life. Theodore was so distraught by his wife Alice's death that he couldn't bear to think about her. He almost never spoke of her again and would not allow her to be mentioned in his presence. He even omitted her name from his autobiography. His daughter, Alice, was even called Baby Lee instead of by her first name. Alice continued this practice late in life, often preferring to be called Mrs. L instead of Alice. Theodore responded to the loss of his wife and mother by retreating from his life in New York and heading west, where he spent two years traveling and living on his ranch in North Dakota, which is actually understandable to me, except for the fact that he left his infant daughter in the care of his sister, Anna. He would write letters inquiring about his daughter, but not much else. To Anna's credit, Alice would later speak flowingly of her saying, if Auntie Anna had been a man, she would have been president. Alice lived at Anna's home until Theodore married again when Alice was two years old. Theodore married Edith Hermit Caro. Alice had five half-siblings, Theodore the third, Hermit, Ethel, Archie, and Quentin. During much of Alice's childhood, her aunt Anna was a distant figure who eventually married and moved to London for a while. But as Alice got older and got into arguments with her father and stepmother, it was Aunt Anna who was there to provide needed structure and stability. Late in her life, Alice would say of Anna, There is always someone in every family who keeps it together. In ours, it was Auntie Anna. There was tension between Alice and her stepmother, Edith. Edith had known her husband's previous wife and made it clear that she regarded that woman as a beautiful but childlike fool. Edith once even angrily told Alice that if her mother had lived, she would have bored Theodore to death. The tension with her stepmother and prolonged separation and limited attention from her father created a young woman who was independent, outgoing, and self confident. When Theodore was governor of New York, He and Edith proposed that Alice attend a conservative school for girls in New York City. In response, Alice wrote, If you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. I tell you, I will. In later years, Edith and Alice's relationship seemed to mellow, and Alice expressed admiration for Edith's sense of humor, and even stated that they had shared similar tastes in literature. Alice would even speak kindly of Edith in her autobiography, Crowded Hours. In 1901, Theodore became president of the U.S., an event that Alice greeted with, quote, sheer rapture. Alice became a celebrity and a fashion icon at age 17. At her social debut in 1902, she wore a blue gown. That shade of blue became known as Alice Blue sparking a color trend in women's clothing and a popular song called Alice Blue gown Alice got a lot of attention during her father's presidency. She loved all the attention she got, but at the same time didn't like the restrictions all that attention placed on her. In this way, Alice was like her father. She later said of Theodore, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. Alice's outspokenness and antics won the heart of the American people, who nicknamed her Princess Alice. Alice was known for breaking many social norms of her era. The Journal des Debats in Paris noted that in 15 months, Alice had attended 407 dinners, 350 balls, and 300 parties. One paper even alleged that at a drunken party at the Newport, Rhode Island mansion, she had danced on top of a table, a story that proved to be false. Alice would become the first woman to drive the 45 miles in a car from Newport to Boston. Alice smoked cigarettes in public, chewed gum, played poker, wore pants, rode in cars with men, stayed out late partying with the Vanderbilts, kept a pet snake named Emily Spinach in the White House, slept in until noon, and was seen placing bets with a bookie. Theodore was unhappy that her antics would even appear before real news in the papers. What he didn't know was that in a move that would make modern influencers proud, Alice would phone in tips herself to the press about where she was going and what she was doing, so that she would be the one to receive the cash rewards for the information. Alice was also a practical joker. On May 11, 1908, Alice amused herself in the Capitol's gallery at the House of Representatives by placing a tack on the chair of an unknown but, quote, middle-aged and dignified man. Encountering the tack, as Alice would later put it, the man leapt up in pain and surprise, quote, like the burst of a bubble on the fountain, like a bolt from the blue, like the ball from the cannon. Alice just looked away. Once, a visitor to the White House made a comment on Alice's frequent interruptions to the president's office, often to offer political advice. After Alice interrupted their conversation for a third time and Theodore had threatened to throw her vote out the window, the exhausted president commented to his friend, I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. I actually talk about Alice Roosevelt often, and I always tell this story when I do. Because, and I say this with all affection, I think it perfectly illustrates what a handful Alice must have been if she exhausted the inexhaustible Theodore Roosevelt so much. In 1905, Alice, along with her father's Secretary of War William Howard Taft, led the American delegation to Japan, Hawaii, China the Philippines, and Korea. It was the largest diplomatic mission like this so far. It composed of 23 congressmen, seven senators, diplomats, officials, and businessmen. During the cruise to Japan, Alice jumped into the ship's swimming pool, fully clothed, and coaxed a congressman to join her in the water. Years later, Bobby Kennedy would tease her about the incident saying it was outrageous for the time. The by then over 80-year-old Alice replied that it would only have been outrageous if she had removed her clothes. In her autobiography, Alice wrote of this event, pointing out that there was little difference between the linen skirt and blouse she had been wearing and a lady's swimsuit of that period. In December 1905, after returning to Washington from their diplomatic travels, The then 21-year-old Alice became engaged to Nicholas Longworth III, a Republican U.S. House of Representatives member from Cincinnati, Ohio, who would eventually become Speaker of the House. The two had traveled in the same social circles for several years, but their relationship solidified during the Imperial cruise. Longworth was 14 years older than Alice and had a reputation as a ladies' man in Washington, D.C. The scandalized tone in my voice you may be detecting isn't because of the age difference between the two. It's honestly because I can't imagine a congressman having the nerve to date, much less marry the sitting president's daughter, especially when that president was Theodore Roosevelt. Alice and Nicholas's wedding took place in February of 1906 and was the social event of the season. The wedding was at the White House and was attended by more than 1,000 guests, and there were thousands gathered outside hoping for a glimpse of the bride. Alice wore a blue wedding dress, and dramatically cut the wedding cake with a sword that she borrowed from a military aide at the reception. The New York Times gushed about Alice. Miss Roosevelt looked as pretty as she ever did in her life, and that is saying a good deal. The best pictures that have been printed of her do not do justice to her face. Immediately after the wedding, the couple left for a honeymoon that included a trip to Cuba and a visit to Nicholas's family in Cincinnati. Then they went to England and Europe, which included having dinners with King Edward VII of the United Kingdom, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, and the Prime Minister of France. They bought a house in Washington, D.C. This house is now the headquarters of the Washington Legal Foundation. When her father ran for his second term as president in the Bull Moose Party, Alice publicly supported him. But President William Taft was her husband's mentor, so Nicholas supported Taft, who was running for re-election on the Republican ticket. Nicholas Longworth narrowly lost his House seat that year to a Democratic challenger. During that election cycle, Alice appeared on stage with her father's vice presidential candidate. Hiram Johnson, in her husband's own district. Nicholas Longworth lost that election by about 105 votes, and Alice joked that she was worth at least 100 votes, meaning she was the reason he lost. However, Nicholas was elected again in 1914 and stayed in the House of Representatives for the rest of his life. I'm going to directly quote one of my sources in what I feel has to be one of the biggest understatements ever. Ready? Alice's campaign against her husband caused a permanent chill in their marriage. That's it. That's the quote. During their marriage, Alice carried on numerous affairs. It was general knowledge in Washington, D.C. that she had a long, ongoing affair with Senator William Bora. When Alice's diaries were opened to historical research, they indicated that Bora was the father of her daughter, Helena Longworth. Alice was renowned for her quote, brilliantly malicious humor. Even in this sensitive situation, she originally wanted to name her daughter Deborah, as in gay Bora. And According to one family friend, everybody called Paulina Aurora Bora Alice. From an early age, Alice was interested in politics. When her aunt Anna became unable to help her father due to age and illness, Alice stepped into her place as an unofficial political advisor to her father. She warned her father against challenging the renomination of William Howard Taft in 1912. When it was time for the Roosevelt family to move out of the White House, Alice buried a voodoo doll of the new First Lady, Nellie Taft, in the front yard. Later, the Taft White House barred her from her former residence, the first but not the last administration to do so. During Woodrow Wilson's administration, Alice worked against the entry of the United States into the League of Nations. Woodrow Wilson's administration would eventually bar her from the White House in 1916 for a joke that she made at Wilson's expense. During the Great Depression, when Alice, like many other Americans, had financial difficulties, she appeared in tobacco advertisements to earn money. This is also when she published her autobiography. The book sold well and received rave reviews. After Theodore died in 1919, Alice took up his political causes to honor him and became known as, quote, the Other Washington Monument, for her constant involvement in politics. Alice's wit could have political effects on friends and foes alike. When columnist and cousin Joseph Alsop claimed that there was grassroots support for candidate Wendell Willkie, Who was the Republican candidate against FDR in 1940? She said yes. The grassroots of 10,000 country clubs. Alice demolished the opponent of her cousin Franklin Thomas Dewey by comparing the pencil mustached Republican to quote the bridegroom on the wedding cake. The image stuck, and Governor Dewey would go on to lose two consecutive presidential elections. Alice's daughter Paulina. Married Alexander McCormick Sturm, with whom she had a daughter, Joanna, in 1949. Alexander died in 1951, and Paulina died in 1957. Not long before Paulina's death, she and Alice had discussed the care of her daughter, Joanna, in case of such an event. Alice fought for, and won, the custody of her granddaughter, whom she raised. Alice doted on her granddaughter, and the two, were very close. In an article in American Heritage in 1969, Joanna was described as, quote, a notable contributor to Mrs. Longworth's youthfulness. Alice took a hard-line view of the Democrats and, in her youth, sympathized with the conservative wing of the Republican Party. She supported her half-brother, Theodore Roosevelt III, when he ran for governor of New York in 1924. But when her cousin, Franklin D. Roosevelt, ran for president in 1932, Alice publicly opposed his candidacy. Writing in the Ladies' Home Journal in October 1932, she said of FDR, Politically, his branch of the family and ours have always been in different camps, and the same surname is about all we have in common. I am a Republican. I am going to vote for Hoover. If I were not a Republican, I would still vote for Mr. Hoover this time. Later, during FDR's 1940 presidential campaign, Alice publicly proclaimed that she'd, quote, rather vote for Hitler than vote for Franklin for a third term. Which, yikes, Alice, that's not cool at all. Side note, I was very concerned after seeing this quote that Alice might have been pro-Nazi and that I had somehow missed it. But after looking, I don't believe that was the case. This was a very off-color remark Alice made, especially considering that it was 1940, and Alice definitely should have known better by that time. But from what I can tell, this wasn't an endorsement of Hitler, but hyperbole, to make the point that she absolutely did not support FDR, which, okay, fine, but yikes. Although Alice did not support John F. Kennedy in the 1960 election, she did end up becoming very enamored of the Kennedy family and, quote, learned how amusing and attractive Democrats could be. She developed an affectionate, although sometimes strained, friendship with Bobby Kennedy. Ellis even admitted to voting for President Lyndon Johnson over Senator Barry Goldwater in 1964 because she believed Goldwater was, quote, too mean. Ellis developed a genuine friendship with Richard Nixon when he was vice president. In 1957, he served as a pallbearer at Paulina's funeral. When he returned to California after his loss in the 1960 presidential election, she kept in touch and did not consider his political career to be over. Alice encouraged Nixon to re-enter politics and continued to invite him to her famous dinners. Nixon returned these favors by inviting her to his first formal White House dinner and to the 1971 wedding of his daughter, Tricia Nixon. In 1955, Alice fell and suffered a broken hip. In 1956, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and though she successfully underwent a mastectomy at the time, cancer was found in her other breast in 1970, requiring a second mastectomy. After Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1968, Alice again supported her friend Richard Nixon in the 1968 and 1972 elections, just as she had done in his 1960 campaign against John F. Kennedy. She was recorded in a telephone conversation with Nixon in the Nixon White House tapes, sharply criticizing the 1972 Democratic nominee, George McGovern. Nixon called her the most interesting conversationalist of the age, and also said, no one, no matter how famous, could ever outshine her. Alice remained cordial with Nixon's successor, Gerald Ford, but she declined to ever meet Jimmy Carter, the last sitting president in her lifetime. After many years of ill health, Alice died in her home from emphysema and pneumonia on February 20th, 1980, eight days after her 96th birthday. She is buried in Rock Creek Cemetery, Washington, D.C. In the official statement marking her death, President Carter wrote, She had style, she had grace, and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers to Washington, wondering which was worse, to be skewered by her wit, or to be ignored by her. Of her quotable comments, Alice's most famous found its way onto a pillow on her settee. If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. To Senator Joseph McCarthy, who had jokingly remarked at a party, here's my blind date. I am going to call you Alice. She sarcastically said, Senator McCarthy, you Are not going to call me Alice. The truckman, the trashman, and the policeman on my block may call me Alice, but you may not. She informed President Lyndon B. Johnson that she wore wide-brimmed hats so he couldn't kiss her. When discussing her life in a 60 Minutes interview that was televised in 1974, she would say, "I must admit." a sense of mischief does get hold of me from time to time. I'm a hedonist. I have an appetite for being entertained. And that, friends, is the story of one very misbehaved woman who did make history, Alice Roosevelt. Was Alice a flapper 20 years before flappers were even a thing? Did Alice inspire a whole generation of women who grew up watching her do whatever she wanted to, making those girls wonder why they couldn't do those things too? Was Alice Roosevelt the inspiration for the flappers of the 1920s? I mean, I'm just asking questions here. Some of the sources I used for this episode, all that's interesting SmithsonianMag.com and Wikipedia. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at DorkyPod at Gmail. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong, or. Let me know if there's something in particular in history that you'd like me to talk about. There's a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast, and all the other social medias are at Dorky Pod. Join them and be part of our growing community, but also to get extra tidbits about episode topics, like facts and pictures. There's also a link to donate to the podcast on the website and in the show notes if you'd like. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow, but more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends. That's it. That's the quote.